You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Welcome to Sparrows and Wildflowers, episode 25. In today's episode, we get to speak to the wonderful Sylvia Kratzer. But first, as always, you can email me if you've got a suggestion for someone I can interview or if you'd like to chat about anything you hear on the podcast. You can also like, favorite, follow and all that on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And now about today's interview. Sylvia speaks about growing up in East Germany. She reflects on the falling of the Berlin Wall and how that affected her and her family. She also speaks about tragic loss in her family and when she spent time teaching in China. Sylvia shares with us her long and gradual journey towards faith in Jesus and her current life of living in Australia, being at Bible college and working in Christian TV. Now, I hope you really enjoy this discussion with Sylvie Kratzer. I was born in um, Eastern Germany, so it's a really nice little place. We're on the border of the Czech Republic and Poland. And it was before the war came down, so I actually do remember how times are during communism. That was interesting. Can you tell us a bit about those early memories? Yeah, I can remember how, for example, the teacher was a very important person. It was a teacher would be an authority. So if you would say the teacher in your community, like when you're shopping or whatever, you would have respect and you would almost be a little bit afraid because like, oh, wow, that's your teacher. They have like... Your school teacher. Yeah, they can, they can tell you things and they have influence on you. I feel like sometimes it wasn't that the opinion of your parents was like the first authority. It was like almost equal. To your teachers. Yeah. Where I'm thinking now, you're lucky when students listen to you and you're you're (laughs) a teacher, you know. So I found that interesting. Mm. I once went to a school girl, like I went to class with. And I don't know why in my free time, I went with a friend to her and told her stupid things. I don't know why I did, but like, well, I was like eight or nine or whatever. And um, the next day, it wasn't that our parents, they didn't know about it because you're children, you do stupid stuff and your children, but not everything your parents know. But then when I came back to school the next day, she would um, kind of like mention it and she would make sure that that, that doesn't happen again. It's mm-hmm. kind of like she would call me out on that. And I feel like I wonder if that would happen nowadays in normal school. So I was... Yeah, I always think like, wow, they had quite a big influence. Yeah. And then going back to when you were a baby, you were quite ill. Oh, yeah. It was interesting because I, th- I find it so funny that um, I think I'm really blessed because my mom told me I would have a brain infection. I think it's called meningitis. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing about it is that back then she needed to monitor how my development would be. And it's really difficult when you're a baby because like you're changing every time and then she would ask okay is this behavior normal or not like she would need to look at my behavior if it's changing or not mm. because um the sickness can end up that you have mental damages yeah and you're not maybe fully function the way you could function and the crazy thing is that i worked later with handicapped people and i did say a girl or like a woman who got the same sickness when she was 12. So I I actually literally saw how it can end up when you're not getting healed Mm. and what other road it goes down. So I'm like, wow, I don't know. I got lucky or I was, yeah. Amazing. And so how old were you when the Berlin Wall came down? Eight years, nine years old. Wow. And so was it a big change for you personally before and after? Well, it was crazy because I remember how everybody in my family was celebrating it. And my uncle, he, I I think he even drove to Berlin. And later on, I knew that, like my parents told me that they wanted to actually, they they applied to leave East Germany. And the government back then told them, hey, you can leave East Germany but your children have to stay here. So when the Berlin Wall came down, um, 
I guess my my dad, he was the first one who looked for a job in Western Germany and he started working there. He then was traveling. We lived in East Germany, really on the east border. And he would live in Munich, like close to Munich. So that's maybe six or eight hour drive with a car. So he would work the whole time there, but then he would come every other week and home. And he did that for around about two years, yeah. Wow. I was always happy with my environment, kind of, but like I guess this was like a huge change as well. Yeah. Back then you didn't have Skype, you didn't have phones. Like it's, mm. I remember how we went to, we did not have a mobile phone. So I remember how we went down to um, our neighbors and received calls from him or we would call him to just talk to him. And it's crazy that nowadays everything is so easy accessible, but back then it wasn't. Like you would, before the war came down, I remember we would line up for bananas or oranges. I mean, I was blessed because my mom, she worked in a shopping center or like mm -hmm. in the shops. So she had like first access to it. So again, I think I even did not really, I never missed anything. I feel like I always, I had a great childhood and my my grandparents, they had like a big garden with all the fruits or whatever. But like just now looking back, I'm thinking it's crazy that everything was is now so accessible, but it wasn't always like that. Mm. Yeah. So after two years, I guess um, my parents had this conversation of, do we want to continue that, that you travel always that far? And um, like they, they planned to stay in East Germany so that my dad would come back. But then my mom lost her job, so there was no point in um, kind of staying in a country or in a place where you have really not much chances of work. So they both moved, like we all as a family moved to Western Germany. So you and you've got a sister? Yeah. And your parents? Yeah, my sister and my parents and I. And what was it like going to the city? Well, it's crazy because I remember when we moved, I was excited. Mm. My mom tells me I was sad, but like I think because I was 11, it was not as hard for me as it was for my sister back then. Like she was already 14, she had like her best friends. I think the whole process of puberty and like detaching from your parents and getting more independent had already started for her. Yeah. And I think it was really hard for her, but I was like, okay, I'm excited. I want to say whatever, adventure. But school-wise, it was really difficult because the whole school system was different. When we moved, I got to a school, like I never learned another language. And then I had to learn English. But oh no, it's not true. Actually, I started learning English in East Germany and I always was a good student. I always had like high marks. You were perceived as a bad, not bad person, but like if you had low marks, they would mock you. Like yeah. in yeah, it was. And when I came to West Germany and I had my first exams or like tests, I first of all did not know what happens when they had surprise tests. I'm like, what is a surprise test? We never had that. The whole way of asking the questions and it just was so different. And I was like, bad. I had so bad marks. Aww. And this, I think it's like, when you used to be a good student and then you get bad marks and you think like, what did I do wrong? Yeah, this was a bit um, confronting. Mm. English was never my strength. It's funny that I'm now here and can talk English to you. Yay. Um, <laughs> but that was, yeah, I think this was the biggest thing for me to, to overcome, like the whole struggle with school and learning and getting grades that aren't good grades but like medium but like I quickly got used to it yeah I think you English was always my um how do you say not my favorite or like it always was like this um stepchild or whatever what you don't <laughs> like a foreign language it's like this gosh I never will learn that mm. yeah Wow. And so do you have any early memories of God or of religion or spirituality? No, I didn't grow up Christian. I remember my sister was probably the first one who got bap 
baptized, but we never went to church for Christmas. We never, there was nothing like in my childhood, there was nothing um, attached to a church or to some religion. When we later moved to um, West Germany, it's quite interesting because you have to choose a religion when you go to school. So either you say you're Catholic or you're Protestant, or if you're neutral, but then you have to pick like ethic class. Mm -hmm. And back then ethic class was in the afternoon. So I picked Protestant because my friend was in that class. Mm -hmm. And I knew my sister, she um, was friends with um, a Protestant pastor's kid. So I was like, oh yeah, that can't be so bad. My sister likes it. It's a good time in the timetable and my friend is in that class, so I choose that class. And I guess this was my first encounter yeah, with religion or church. It's funny because that school I went to, they actually prayed every morning this um, Our Father in Heaven. Mm -hmm. It was either the Lord's Prayer or um, your Confession of Faith. Like mm -hmm. one of those, um, that every morning you would pray it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you do it. But I did it mainly because, well, you do it because you have to do it. Like yeah. I was always very obedient, like yeah. <laughs> didn't know how to question things. Yeah, and then, so I took um, Protestant religion and had interesting classes, which I, I didn't understand a thing because like, what's the Bible? What's that book? Who is Jesus? If you don't grow up with it and then they ask you, to interpret the parables of Jesus, you're like, eh? what? <laughs> I want to go out and play with the ball. But yeah, because of my pick that I said, okay, I go to Protestant, then the Protestant church in our city, they would invite me to confirmation lesson. Oh, so yeah. it's linked. It's like they invite you. And then because my friend went, I went. And it's interesting because that's actually how my Christian life probably started. So I went into that confirmation lessons. Interesting enough, I really liked the environment. So mm -hmm. I really liked um, the community and they were talking about good things. And I thought, oh, well, it's fun here and it's better to be here than on the streets and do stupid stuff. <laughs> so I actually um, got baptized, got confirmed and... Um, stuck with the church wow yeah and was it something that you believed or experienced for yourself or it was more just going with the flow at that point i just went for the community i always believed probably in something higher but for me back then i was like i don't care how you call it if you call it buddha or god or luck or faith it's like doesn't matter um i wasn't a convicted Christian sure. like I don't know other people are I just it, this was the institution that was could have been any other institution probably yeah, yeah it's funny because I did teach the Bible her so yeah when I look back I'm thinking like wow I did a lot of youth work and um, went to youth camps and was a youth leader and we had like a whole region like we always had an event in, in a district of Augsburg and I would be like in the managing circle of that. So And we would organize events where we were like protesting that the old cinemas in our city would close down. But The church would do that. Yeah, like yeah. the use of the church. And so I was quite involved in that. Yeah. Like, like it was more really the community in doing something, but... Mm there was no faith like I I wouldn't say I did it for Jesus I just did it because it sounded right and made sense to me you know yeah yeah so and were your parents okay with you and your sister going to church so my parents mainly were okay with it because we were joining a community and it wasn't a fanatic religious faith where like they did not say, oh my gosh, our kids, they get brainwashed and they are in danger. They just saw, okay, they go to church and that meant they go to this house and have good community. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why they did not 
do anything against it, but supported it. Um, it changed later when actually we started discovering more about Christianity and maybe we questions a little bit more the question of what does it mean to be a Christian? And when we made some decisions, um, okay, we really want to commit to that faith and started to discover what that means for us. I think my mom back then, I could imagine there were times where she was not happy that we went to church because we sometimes would decide to go to church or serve in church and not to come to her place. And I think it just hurts somebody when you do these things, when you see, hey, there are two choices. Are you coming to me and having dinner with me or are you going to that place? And we went to another place and I think that's what gave her pain sometimes. Sure, yeah. But it's all good now, yeah. And when you're in school, though, you lost your dad in really sad circumstances. Are you able to share a bit about that with us? Yeah, that was probably really um, the saddest thing that happened to me. Like, it's crazy because as a child, you might prepare at some stage that you're going to lose your parents. But when it happens when you're 16 and without any pre-warning that's quite um shocking or traumatizing yeah so um my dad was not sick he didn't um have anything he had an accident at home and he drowned at home and um it was crazy because when i went to use that night and i left and i said hey bye bye and i and that was the time where he would um, put water in the bath, to have a bath. And when I came back home, everything was silent. And I'm like, hello. And there was no one answering. The thing is that when you, I don't know if you know this, but when you have a bath and you relax and you're just like in your world, you don't want to, I didn't want to scare my dad either when I go in a bathroom, you know? Yeah, sure. But then, yeah, so that was, yeah it's crazy it was like i don't know you don't expect it no it's so crazy because you you immediately realize you can't tell anyone you just um you're like flip man like i did call my neighbors because i said hey something is wrong with dad and you don't want to believe it but then you know it and then you don't want to tell anyone because you think, hey, if you tell mom, she's going to be heartbroken. If you tell your grandparents, like, I'm thinking like my grandma had to lose her son. Like, that's not something what parents probably aren't supposed to lose their kids. And I'm thinking like, wow, like, this was a hard time. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a huge burden for you to bear as well as the loss for you yourself yeah and um i do think like i don't know if i just shoved it in the back always um my friends sometimes they are surprised how well i deal with it like and they say oh that you didn't lose your mind or whatever i don't know why i didn't lose my mind um I think I'm, I still feel lucky that I found him because I know that like I did see him and it was peaceful. Mm. Like there was no fight. There was no, um, he really just looked peaceful. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, well, it's nice. Like it's beautiful when somebody can live in peace, you know, like it isn't under stress or whatever i think that's what i want for everybody you know like you sleep in and that's and then you hopefully go to heaven i don't bring it up very often in my life and um but when i talk about it it's like well i can't have conversations with him now you know i can't ask him about his worldview about his dreams about I can't and I was 16 I didn't do this back then 
Mm -hmm. Like I was focused around myself and then and sometimes you think like who's gonna walk you down the aisle but then I'm thinking like you don't even have a boyfriend so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> but um no but it's like or like my sister she's got a baby now and I'm thinking like wow you know like it would be nice mm. and my, for my mom you know she had to be she had to raise all of a sudden two kids on her own that's crazy like yeah I think he would never um have guessed where I am right now you know like mm. when I'm thinking like well I can like something in me hopes he's in heaven and he has like some monitor where he can watch me <laughs> I don't know if it's possible or if it's even matters in heaven but yeah I even don't know if he is in heaven so like he did get baptized so um I don't know it's like would be nice to see him again yeah yeah well thank you for sharing about that really tough experience and so for you as a child and as a teenager did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up oh wow i wanted to be famous (laughs) (laughs) i think when ellie mcbeal was out i wanted to be a lawyer but then you had to study um you had to be good at Latin. You have to. You had to had a good knowledge of Latin to study, and Sylvia and languages is not the best. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that's unfortunate. And then um, I could imagine to be a teacher actually, but again, it in my head it was always connected to study at a university, and in the school system I was in Germany. I graduated from a kind of high school where you could not immediately go to a um, university. I did like the arts as well, but then, and I could have gone into the arts, but I never wanted to put myself into the tests because I thought I'm not going to make them anyways. So, yeah, and then I went into the social stream. I never knew what I wanted to become, and sometimes it was annoying because it seemed that your friends, they were so certain about it. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be influential and I didn't know how to do that. Like, Wow, that's interesting. So I, so when I studied, um, when we studied um, psychology or whatever, like at this social stream, I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to have a theory one day and they're going to read in, about me in the books. <laughs> but yeah, like I never really truly believed that could happen. Yeah, it was just more a fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so I did this in these two years, I did the social stream. And after that, I didn't know what I want to do. And then I went and um, did a voluntary ecological year at the handicapped place. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I did this. And then I got, um, I heard about an opportunity how to become a teacher without having a university access. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So I applied for that and this I studied then for five years. Yeah. So you studied teaching? So I did study teaching. Um, I was about to become a teacher for all schools except primary schools. A high school teacher? Yeah. So you every secondary school arts I could go. Like there are different ones in Germany. Mm-hmm. But I could teach. So I was about to become a teacher for art and crafts and communication techniques and um, technical drawing yeah wow and did you go on to be a teacher no no (laughs) what did you do during my teaching or after my teaching I thought oh I really would I think this is not the best time to take a gap year Mm -hmm. because I was afraid if I would start my teaching career I would not want to stop it because I thought well if I start teaching and then it's going to be hard the first years and then you made yourself a name and you found your way in teaching and I'm like, I'm not sure. And then I thought, oh, and then you get married and have kids and then you're never going to travel. So I thought, okay, I'm travel now. And I wanted to go to Russia, but this didn't work out. So I ended up in China and I went for 16 months to China. Wow. Yeah. So what drew you to China? 
I guess I wanted to be in a country that was different than our culture. Okay. And my sister had been to Australia, funny enough, but I didn't want to go to Australia because I thought, oh, it's too close to our culture. It's too Western. It will be too easy. I wanted to go to Russia. This didn't work out. And then a friend of mine, she, she would be in China and she would have, um, she would teach there. So, um, because I could talk with her how it is in China, what she does, um, I trusted that. And then um, I tried to apply at a few schools, but they didn't accept me. And then when she left, like she was writing me, hey, Sylvia, I'm leaving. Do you want to have my job? And then I said, yeah, sure. And I had no clue what I said yes to. Like, <laughs> I remember I was sitting on the way to China in the plane and I was calling my friend and I'm like, Philip, I don't know what I'm doing here. I can't even teach German. I even don't know myself the German language. Like, I'm a bad German writer. I'm <laughs> bad at grammar. I don't know history. I don't know. These are not my strengths. Um, so you were teaching German to Chinese high school students? Yeah, I was okay. teaching German as a foreign language. Mm -hmm. And so it comes with history, with culture, with geography, all the things that... I have no memory of. <laughs> like, when I read them, I think they're interesting and I can read the stories five times and I'm like, wow, that's almost like new to me, but I can't remember them. Mm. So um, I'm like, this is hilarious that I'm going to a country where I can't speak the language. I don't know nothing about this country, but I try to teach them something I don't know about. And, and like, did you know anybody there? Because your friend no. had left. So no. no one. Wow. Yeah. And what was that like arriving there? They forgot to pick me up at the airport. <laughs> it's a it good was start. terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they got. Um, it was funny because um, I flew from Germany to Shanghai, but then I had to go from Shanghai to Nanchang. Nanchang was the place where I was teaching. And in Shanghai, I was like, oh gosh, I'm so silly, but. You know how all these people wait on the airport with the papers in the hand where the names are written on? Yes. So in Shanghai, I expected them already to stand there. But then I realized, oh, I'm in Shanghai. I have to fly more. So, okay. And then I went to <laughs> Nanchang. <laughs> and then again, I expected people to stand there with my name, right? Because we've never seen each other. And there was nobody. And then there came no one. And I was like, this was the most stupid thing you've ever did, Sylvia. Oh. <laughs> You're in a place where you don't speak the language. You don't. I didn't know where to go. I had no address. I had nothing. Well, and then I just took a break. And I was like, well, I'm too tired to get upset about it. So I just waited. Because I thought, well, I can wait maybe half a day or whatever. And then I just fly back. Well, then <laughs> I would have flown back if they wouldn't have picked me up. Oh, really? You would have gone home? Yeah. Wow. But they came. They came. And then she was shocked. Like, um, our the manager, I, or like... She was shocked to see me because I cut my hair. It was really short. And the last picture she had was like me with long hair. And she's like, what did you do? <laughs> you don't look like on the picture. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and wow. then, yeah, I arrived and it was like all dirty and loud and smelly. This was my first impression. Dirty, loud and smelly. Wow. And did you settle in there after a while? Yeah, I did. It's, they put all the international people in one building. So it's probably better for them to control. So I did have great neighbors. I had um, a guy from Ukraine, a lady from the Philippines. Gosh, she couldn't cook. Amazing. And then um, there was another girl from Austria. And these were my first friends I made. And then later on, I met more people, more teachers. That was really good. Wow. Yeah. And was it quite a culture shock living in China? Yes. It's so crazy because you come from a so efficient country and everything is organized in Germany and everything is high quality. And you come in a country where they spit on the floor and um, they don't care if the electricity cables are well wired or not. Like if the room is moldy or not, I don't know why they don't care, but they don't care. It just happens. And I'm like, 
okay, yeah, you can live like this, but wow, mm, okay. And then they are not direct. We are very direct. We, If you can't make holiday, we will tell you. We say, Rachel, you can't go on holiday because of this and this or whatever. Or you can't stay in the country because Olympia is coming up. But they would never tell me. They would, But they would constantly ask me, what I would do for holiday. And I'm thinking like, I told you five times, like, why are you asking me again? Like, I didn't understand that way of communication. And right. yeah, or like, they wouldn't be, re not always be reliable when it comes to payment and things like this. And I'm like, how is this not organized? So, <laughs> yeah. You were used to the German way of doing things. Yeah, really, yeah. because this was the only thing that I knew, you know, like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, it can't be that difficult to organize something. <laughs> But yeah. Um, How old were you at that time? I was 27, 28. Okay. Yeah. And did you enjoy the teaching side of it? I love the students. I still, um, when I'm still connected with some of them on Facebook and it gives me really joy to see how they grow and how they, like they have families now and they're doing well. It's amazing. I was not a, big fan of writing assessments because I would rather I probably would teach them rather way of life than German mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, it's so bad when you have to assess someone and then you don't know what to assess them on because you didn't <laughs> teach them something <laughs> it's a problem <laughs> yeah but then on the other hand they didn't take much things serious like the the Probably in every other university, you as a teacher would get in trouble for having, okay, you don't teach your students something. But I think just because I'm a native mother tongue speaker and I would talk a lot German to them, they would not, um, I would not get much in trouble for that. So, yeah. I mean, they did learn something. It was just hard to write the assessments for them. <laughs> <laughs> and was there a time in all this that you sort of, encountered Jesus for yourself I mean you spoke about being part of the community side of Christianity yeah. when did that sort of click over into a personal revelation so it started a bit earlier before China it was my sister she had been here in Australia and um, she was a backpacker and she discovered um, like she became friends with someone who was a Christian and he told her about Christianity and then I think she committed to a Christian way of life. And when she came back, she discovered a couple which wanted to build a church in Germany. And um, so she stuck with them and was like kind of in the early years of that church. So because of that, I was related. Like I, when I went to visit her, I went to that church. And it's funny enough that, that this church, they would give you at every end of their um, service, they would give you the chance to think about if you want to live a lifestyle um, according to the Bible and to the ways of Jesus. I, okay, I have to say the way I remember the prayers or like these calls were was like, let's say the service was about generosity and they would ask you, do you want to live a generous lifestyle? And then I would raise my hand, you know, like that's how I remember it. Maybe they didn't say it like this, but mm -hmm. this is in my memory. Mm -hmm. And then sure, they would come up to me and say, um, oh, you gave your life to Jesus. And then they, and, but they always would ask you how you are, who you are, right? And um, I would be like, Oh, I'm Sylvia. And then they would know, how do you come here? And then I would say, well, Silke is my sister. And then they would stop and say, ah, oh, then you're in good hands. So I never got actually told um, what it meant when I put up my hand. Right. Because my sister, who is like one of the board members, or I don't know how to say, like one of the um, persons who was starting that church, I would be in good hands with her, right? But she didn't tell you. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't tell her that I would raise my hand. So, you know, like... Okay. And I don't know. Yeah, it was funny. Um, but then, so the last um, weeks before I went to China, I lived with her for four weeks. And then the people constantly would like talk about life with Jesus, life with God. And I would say, you know what? It's all beautiful that like you can live with God, but 
it's not me. I don't have a personal relationship to God. Beautiful that you have it. I don't. And that was the thing how I left China. But I did leave it with probably two or three Bibles in my luggage. Um, Are you allowed to bring Bibles to China? Well, I didn't know this back then, but they didn't. They were like this modern type of Bibles, you know, like where where it looked like a magazine or whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, well, they didn't stop me. Yeah. Um, I think I had two Bibles. Yeah, one magazine and one normal Bible. It's so funny because um, my neighbors, they were all Christian. And I was like, what a surprise that they are all Christian. I thought, well, what, what are the odds that so many Christians are living around me? But now I know that probably if somebody is a foreigner in China, he's either Christian or a business person. Right. <laughs> so that most teachers are probably Christian and are on a Christian mission. Okay. So, um, yeah, but I didn't know this back then. So this was like very um, interesting. And there were a few funny incidents that I um, joined a Christian community there where, where I met Liz. And Liz was, um, she was a key person because she, it's funny, when I met her, we, I didn't like her, but something clicked on our journey where we really became best friends. And from that point on, she would nag me and ask me, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> funny enough that I raised my hand five times for that already. But um, I'm like, so I said, what does it mean to give your life to Jesus? And she would it's explain. a fair question. <laughs> yeah. And she would say things like, well, you know, you kind of um, follow Jesus. And I'm like, I don't follow anyone. <laughs> I follow myself. I want to be independent. And so the whole concept of, okay, somebody is Lord over your life. Um, I'm like, this doesn't sound very attractive because I want to be independent. Yeah. And she would say, yeah, you, you're kind of dependent on Jesus as well. And I'm like, yeah, again, this does not work with independency. I'm like, nah, 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 thank you. I'm going to do it on my own. But she would be my friend and we would have the best time and she constantly would nag me as well. But I always could come with questions to her as well. Like I always would um, be able to say, okay, what does then mean this? What does then mean that? And she would always answer me. And I'm like, okay. And probably like, it was also like, how do you give your life to Jesus? Like, what do you have to do? Is there like a ceremony or do you have to jump in a pool? Or I don't know, like... Yeah. Pour blood over something. Oh, you wow. know, like, I mean, it's a bit extreme, but like, I was like, just like, so what does it mean? How does it look like? Yeah, I'm sure. a very practical person. Yeah. So, yeah. And then she would tell me, like, she would say, me, okay, you pray this kind of prayer and you do this and that. And yeah. And I remember, like, this night, I do remember because I did get stuck with my personality. And I did not know how to overcome that without help. And because I was so prideful and wanted to be so independent, <laughs> I didn't want to have help from people. So I thought, well, maybe I could give Jesus a chance because he's at least God. And then it's between him and me. My little um, failures are like my little weaknesses that I need to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I said, well, I can give Jesus a chance in Christianity. If this doesn't work out, maybe I try Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I prayed that prayer and gave my life to Jesus. So. And it worked out? Well, I'm still a Christian. I haven't started discovering Buddhism yet, so <laughs> I didn't have um, the need to this. Yeah, it like this was now, I was 28, I'm 35 now, so... Um, how many years? Two plus five is seven. Yeah, seven years. Seven. Wow. And did life look quite different after you made that decision? Or was it mm. kind of same as usual? No, it was quite normal. Like it was, I think what came, I, I just added the study about the Bible and Jesus. 
I mean, I didn't murder somebody before, so I didn't start, like, I didn't have the problem of, okay, I need to stop murdering. Yeah. Or I wasn't a thief before, so I, you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't, wow, I didn't take drugs, so I didn't have that problem. And mm, so there was not this big thing, but I think yeah. now, I think the big question always is for me, okay, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? And this discovery hasn't stopped like when thinking like wow i i made sacrifices but these sacrifices they look different each season in my life mm -hmm. like i stopped teaching and started building the church but now i study here and i don't know where it will lead me like i feel like this i don't like using the word lifestyle christianity because it's a conviction and it can actually really um from outside when you don't go that journey and if you don't study it i think it can look quite radical but from the inside i think it's actually quite beautiful if you grow in your faith faith and if you grow in in your desire to get to know okay what does it mean for me and if you always like question that okay yes you made this initial decision seven years ago but Are you still living it? Is it still alive in you? Or are you following only traditions and, and habits? Yeah. Yeah. So I wow. think that changed a lot. And, and with this desire of, and with this constant question, okay, what does it mean to follow Jesus for me personally? And um, that changed a lot in my life. Because you asked me what, I, what changed. So I, I, I can't say, well, boom. I got healed, I got drug free, this wasn't there. But like now when I look back, I can't, I can't say, well, I did approach relationships different than I do now. I did approach um, some certain values different than now. And where I say, yeah, there is a huge transformation, but it wasn't from now to from one second to the other. It was like over years now. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow, that's great. So it's like a gradual. Yeah, totally yeah amazing and was that in china that that all began my whole service in the church in my city like in this protestant church where i had this amazing community but i didn't actually know jesus i think it was like all these little steps that sure. led towards the decision i made in china yes. you know like that prepared and made my heart soften for it you know mm. where, where I think like they were kind people they lived the Christianity I was exposed to like I did probably listen to many services and sang many songs but I didn't understand the text when I was singing but I did still sing it so and um, and then even with my sister being a Christian but me not like her lifestyle she changed and I actually that she treated me different I think softened my heart and and you know like so I think there were many things before that and then well I'm raised in a country like okay I did grow up communist but then again that you were moved in a society which was based on Christianity and still that although we were a communist country Germany always had like a rich Christian history so The values are very Christian, you know, one thing like many things prepare you for that. Mm. And then I would, I would say I was really lucky to meet Liz in China and her doctrine and her theology because I did not have like big, so when I came back to the church, I did not have big um, shocks of what are you preaching? She told me something different, like it all lined up. Yeah. So, so you went back to Germany and were mm -hmm. part of the Hillsong Church there? Yeah, it wasn't back then Hillsong Church, but it became then Hillsong Church, yeah. So 2009, I started serving there, being in every team you could be. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I did this for four years, and then I came here. And what drew you to Australia? Well, I think I always, because I was part of the video team, or at one point I was leading it <laughs> um, and you see the videos that Hillsong produced like Sydney 
I always wanted to know um, how are they doing it. Because we did try to make videos, but nobody of us was educated in that. Like no one knew how to do this. And we had like little camcorders and what is iris and what is like um, this technical terms of cameras, like, like whatever. Um, <laughs> I didn't know all these things. And Hisam just produced beautiful videos. And I thought, I just want to look how they do it. I just want to be behind the scenes and be able to sneak how they produce it. Mm -hmm. And this was one desire for me to go to Australia. And the other one was constantly, I wanted to know the word of God. I was like, okay, you gotta know your Bible. You gotta study the Bible. And I knew there would be a college here. So um, it would have been the easiest choice to go to Australia as well. Because we are, and then we are family, like we're Hillsong Germany with Hillsong Sydney. And then, yeah. Wow. And has Australia been a culture shock for you at all? Or was it similar like you had predicted back years ago? It um, it wasn't such a big culture shock. I was surprised. I, I think I thought um, I'm pretty visual. So I was a bit disappointed by the hills. I'm sorry, hills. <laughs> <laughs> the hills district of Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not like the Harbour Bridge in the Opera House that you see no, on the postcard. <laughs> no, it's not. And so the buildings are so different. And But this was not, it never was a major. I think that buses don't stop when they are supposed to stop, but you have to wave at them. I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know this. But then the language itself, I'm like, what are you talking about? What is Arvo? And like all these um, shortenings of words. Yeah. I'm like, what? And... Okay, it also was a positive cultural shock because the whole grace is so like, gosh, you, you, you can relax as a German here in Australia. It's like, breathe, baby, it's all okay. We have all the time. You know, like there is not this big pressure thing. And yeah, this is beautiful. Nice. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. And have you, I mean, what does day to day look like for you now? Are you enjoying being a student and working? Yeah. Here? It's a full schedule right now, mm. but I love everything. So when I go to college and I um, study about theology or I study about the history of Jesus or um, about leadership, it is amazing what you learn. It is truly amazing. And the assessments, they, even if I whinge about them, but I say the purpose of them and I say what they want to develop in us. So I, I do enjoy that part as well. And then that I can work for the Hillsong channel now is just like, it is amazing. Like it was a dream. I, I wanted to work together with all these people. I wanted to say this and now I'm involved in that. And now I produce things where probably other people ask, how did they do this? So mm. I'm like, it is not normal. It is a huge blessing and I enjoy it so much. Yeah. Like, wow. although it's sometimes really much, it's time consuming, but I wouldn't want to exchange it for anything. And I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier around you wanted to be influential, but you didn't yeah. know how to do that. Is that something you've moved away from or something you feel like you've achieved or, or not achieved? No, I still want to be influential, but now I'm like, I feel like it's even more ridiculous but on the other hand when I say that a friend of mine posts a picture on Facebook of the Hillsong channel of a program I did not edit the program but I was part of making it happen that it can be aired mm -hmm. so um, I wasn't maybe creatively involved much in it but still I did some things for it like and I'm thinking like, I was part of this. So I see, okay, that it does bless people. It does influence people. Mm. It is hard for me in TV land to say how our work is influencing people because I'm not constantly seeing, like you say the praise reports, oh, thanks for the channel. But yet, like you don't literally say their life. Like you don't see the people crying in front of the TV because you're not at their home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you don't see how their decisions and their hearts are influenced by the content that is produced and aired so i think that's something where i just 
have to trust that God will take that sacrifice and use it for his will and for his purpose. Yeah. And then, yeah, I still want to be famous. I don't know how, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And so over your life, has there been a particular Bible passage or even a figure in the Bible that has been really significant for you? I think from the beginning what um, was accompanying me was um, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. Mm -hmm. It's the Sylvia translation. Um, <laughs> um, I think this has been always a thing that came back to me. It says, okay, seek first the kingdom. And um, it always has influenced the decision I made. Mm. And are you able to sum up for us what is at the core of what you believe? Oh, that's a good question. I believe that there is a God in heaven and on earth. Like I believe just and that his son is Jesus. That's what I believe. Um, really from the Christianity. I do believe that Actually, God loves everyone. I think there's good in every single person and um, it's worth to discover it. And I might be impatient with some people, but I hope that other... I truly believe that everyone is good in the core of their being. They are created good. They, are, they have dreams. They have abilities that contribute to community. And... I absolutely believe that if we discover that within us, but also help others to discover that, and then live our community around God, oh gosh, it's just beautiful. Like, I believe that then wars could be avoided and could be peace. It's a journey, but I, yeah, that's what I believe. Beautiful. And for the future, what are your hopes? What are your dreams for the years to come? Wow, future. I want to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wow. What is my hope? I hope that I live a meaningful life. I hope that more humans, more people on planet Earth are... Um, discovering what they can contribute to to make that earth a better place like to establish peace to abolish injustice no matter in what area it is it's like it doesn't matter and it's not just about rich and poor in general like i'm thinking if we start in our family lives or with ourselves and then expand from there mm. i really believe a ripple these ripple effects these yeah. waves can i think it could happen like i'm dreaming of that it sounds very naive maybe or fairy tale like but i really think if everybody makes up their mind and communication is probably a big one so i probably dream of more sensitivity and understanding for each other's situations maybe. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.